This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So I have some really exciting news. Yep, it's finally happened. Kay and I have our own television show. It's going to be on Discovery Channel, and I actually get to share with you a teaser of this show. So I'm just going to cue this up. So excited to share with you our television show. So here's a teaser, and I'll come back after this. Out in the wilds of Pennsylvania lives a family living off the land. They start before the break of dawn milking their cows. They butcher chickens, smoke pork bellies. If it wasn't walking around in their backyard, you won't find it in their fridge. They are the 110% self-sufficient We'll need it if we don't grow it homestead. Okay, did you hear that crunch right there at the end of that teaser, which is obviously a joke? I'm going to replay that for you. Listen closely. This is a fake teaser for a fake Discovery Channel show featuring our family who's living off the land. And as you're watching the teaser, you see shots of us working with cows and working with pigs and gardening. What you don't see until the very end is the hidden camera footage. We are caught, exposed, as I tear into a bag of Oreos hiding in my car. The fact is, yeah, we eat food from the grocery store. We eat Oreos. I just went to the grocery store last week and I literally spent $100 on just snack food, which was, well, Kay was a little upset that I did that, but I really wanted snacks. Anyway, the point is, after homesteading for over a decade, we still go to the supermarket. We still buy groceries. But how much? This was an email we received from a guy named Dale who was looking to, in just a couple of years, grow all his food, become grocery store independent. Is that realistic? How much food can you expect to grow on your homestead after just a year, maybe five years, or like us, 10 years of homesteading? How much of your grocery bill will you cut? What are you still going to buy? In today's episode of the Homesteady Podcast, we head to the barn and we talk about this question. How much food do homesteaders really grow? 
And the coolest part about this episode, we reached out to our community. We asked every homesteader we could reach in the homesteading audience, how much food are you growing? How many years have you been homesteading? In this episode of the podcast, we give you an actual answer as to how much food you can expect to grow based off an average of hundreds of homesteaders. Your first year of homesteading, after five years of homesteading, after a decade, how much of your food can you grow? You're going to learn so much in this episode. Let's head to the barn and answer Dale's question. The world that we live in is a crazy place. This is a pandemic. And a toilet paper tussle. Inflation hitting a new... They're protesting. But you and me, we can make a difference. By just starting a garden, harvesting rainwater, raising some meat chickens with a couple of friends. All these little steps, bit by bit, it makes life better for you, me, and our kids. So if you've wanted to start homesteading, or maybe just grow your homestead a little bit bigger this year, well, you found the right podcast. Cozy up, it's time for another episode of Homesteady. So you want to stop shopping at the grocery store. You want to be more self-sufficient. Totally. But it's not easy to do nowadays. We don't live in pioneer times anymore. There's no Homestead Act, which gets us free land. We have insurance to pay for, taxes. Most of us drive cars, not cattle. A lot of people wonder, can you really be self-sufficient? In fact, we just got an email from Dale. He asked us how much we buy at the grocery store still ourselves after over a decade of homesteading. He had the goal to be grocery store free in just two years. And he wanted to know if that was a reasonable goal or not. So how self-sufficient is it reasonable for a person to be? We actually have an exact number we've come up with based off of not just our experience, but hundreds of other homesteads that we involved in this video. Also, we have three big lessons or takeaways that we're gonna share with you in this video. Stay tuned for all three because they're gonna help you grow more food. And if you, like Dale, want a question answered, don't forget to put the hashtag AskHomesteady with a comment in any of our videos. And maybe we'll choose your question to be in the next video. Because of Dale's email, we're gonna focus on human food production in this video. So we're not talking about heating for your home or your vehicle. Disclaimers. Okay. <laughs> we're not gonna make our own gasoline. Calm down. When we're talking about being self-sufficient, what we're referring to is needing no outside help and the production of your basic needs, your food production mainly. Out in the wilds of Pennsylvania lives a family living off the land. They are the 110% self-sufficient, won't eat it if we don't grow it homestead. So we could edit it to look like we grow all of our own food here in this homestead. But we don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, the simple truth is we're still going to the grocery store for some things. Yeah, we still actually buy a lot of things, but we do grow a ton of our own food. It didn't happen overnight though. It really started about 13 years ago when we were dating. You Wait. know we've been married <laughs> for longer than 13 years, Whoops. right? 15 years ago 15 when we were dating? 15 years ago. <laughs> all right, yes, who talks about nailed the... it. I was a super romantic guy, so I always took my girlfriend fishing with me. Fellas, want to really romance your girl? I got a tip for you. Head on down to your local tackle shop, load up on gear, ring the doorbell, sweep her off her feet, and into that kayak. 
It wasn't my favorite. And we would catch some fish and we would cook it on the riverside. And that was like our very little beginning step. Our toes were dipped into the world In the water. of self-sufficiency. <laughs> At that point though, we were like 0.5% self-sufficient. We literally only were getting like one meal out of, you know, three meals a day, 30 days a month. Yeah, so one meal a month, would we fish, yeah. fish the fish and eat it? But when we got married, things changed. Yeah, <laughs> that's an understatement. We were married a year and then we got pregnant. So right away we kind of switched from the Taco Bell lifestyle. We were leading that first year into wanting something better for our little boy. I started garden and Austin started hunting. At first I was super unsuccessful. Basically I got nothing my first year of hunting. But my second season I was successful and pretty much from there forward I've always been able to get some venison in the freezer. That got us enough protein for at least two or three meals a week. And with Kay gardening a little bit and me being able to get some deer, we were actually able to eat a full meal all on our own. Yeah, I, that first meal was such an accomplishment. I mean, we took a picture of it and that was not in the days of Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> that was not in the Instagram days. It was just, we were so proud of this meal that we had grown with our own two hands and harvested. And a little scared. We had. Of the meat. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We definitely were afraid of the meat because it was like, can you just do this? Butcher it yourself and not poison your family. <laughs> yeah. But we never did. We never, we're still here, so. Uh, it was venison burgers, homemade buns, lettuce and tomato grown in the garden. So that was pretty awesome. And that combination of meat and a little bit of garden veggies, it meant that we could literally do like one meal or two meals a week out of, you know, three meals a day, 30 days a month. That would be about 7% of the meals. <laughs> that we eat throughout a month, we were able to produce. And that was really about two years of our early homesteading life, the first two years. We were doing about 7% of our own food. This is pretty average for a homesteader just starting out the first few years. How do we know? Because we asked over a thousand homesteads answered our different questions. And we're gonna share all that data with you in this video. We did a poll of 750 homesteads who've been homesteading for two years or less. We asked each homestead to tell us how much of their total food they were growing, whether it was 25, 50, 75, or 100% of their food. Our first poll of new homesteaders. While two out of 10 reported growing more than 25% of their food, the majority, eight out of 10, said that they grew 25% or less of their food. So the majority are saying they're producing 25% or less of their food. Not, a, not near 100%. Maybe that doesn't seem like a lot. Think, Tell that to the person who just did it. Think about what that's saying. You're doing something completely different than you ever had in your entire life, different than probably most of the people around you are doing. And you're already producing up to 25% of your food. It's a huge accomplishment. It's not 100% though. <laughs> Maybe hearing that figure frustrates you. Maybe you're a new homesteader, a homestead dreamer, and you wanna get started, or you just started. You know how much expense or how much work is ahead of you. And now you've just been told that you're gonna to raise 25% or less of your food. Maybe that bums you out. Well, that brings us to our first takeaway. Let's head to the pig pen where Kay is gonna to explain to us why you should not feel bummed knowing you're not gonna produce that much in your first few years of homesteading. 
that's our first takeaway is don't get overwhelmed by how little it feels like you're doing. The key is to just start. If you're getting an egg a day from your chickens and that's giving you protein for your breakfast, that's fantastic. Sometimes we, we feel like we're back in high school and boy, 25%, that's a failing grade. When you're growing your own food, 25% is a huge success. So don't not get started because you're feeling overwhelmed by not being able to do it all. Key is, just start. We were limited being in an apartment how much food we could actually grow for ourselves. If we were gonna increase that amount, it was time for us to move to the country. And so that's what we did. We moved to a 10 acre farm in the country. And pretty quickly we wound up with our first livestock, which of course was chickens, egg laying chickens. And we got six egg layers. In case you couldn't tell, we are obviously doing our morning chores right now. I'm headed to the chicken coop to grab the eggs. Up and running, getting farm fresh eggs. Ooh, I just dropped one. So with farm fresh eggs, we were able to produce enough food for like all of our breakfasts. We could have an omelet with some veggies in it, fried eggs, poached eggs. Every single breakfast is a big percentage of the meals. It's one in every three meals. That combined with the meat and the veggies we were already producing, now we're at a level of about 20% of our food being grown or harvested on our homestead. Having egg laying chickens was an easy leaping point what for- What do they call that? A like opened the way. What do you call it? A stepping gateway? stone? Gateway. It was a gateway, a stepping stone into the world of meat chickens. We knew how to take care of chickens. Let's get some meat chickens. We started with 10 the first year. We got 10 meat chickens, learned how to do it. And we were hooked. Yeah, they were awesome. They were delicious, they were easy, and they filled our freezer so quickly. Raising a year's worth of chicken became one of our go-to ways to feed our family. And we actually have a YouTube video which focuses just on how we do this, raise a year's worth of chicken. Behind me here, I have one year's worth of chicken for our family. Do you wanna grow a year's worth of chicken for your family? We're gonna talk about how to do that in today's video. If you wanna see that YouTube video, I'll have a link in the description of this podcast. You can watch that video. It's really helpful if you're trying to plan how much of what to grow to feed your family chicken-wise. And ever since then- We never stopped. We haven't stopped. <laughs> Every year we raise enough meat chickens for our whole family, plus. That really upped our self-sufficiency quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's not difficult if you have a little bit of property a little bit yeah. to raise your year's supply of meat chickens. We have a whole video that outlines that. It's an awesome gateway into the world of meat. I think it's good because you kind of dip your toe into death. Because <laughs> <laughs> meat birds will die on you. They die on us in all sorts of crazy oh, ways. Yeah. Like if it's too hot or too cold, too wet, if there's not enough water, if the food's wrong, a predator grabs them. That's kind of good to get you used to in farming yeah, too. Yeah, failure, that's our second takeaway here is just be, give yourself room to fail. I like how John Siskovich from Farm Marketing Solutions, uh, John says he's killed more chickens on accident than most people have on purpose. <laughs> uh, but you learn a lot. Yeah, with every failure, you're gonna learn how to do better. And to the point where here we are, having been raising meat chickens for a decade, last year we had a perfect 
batch of meat chickens. This was a really big deal for us. We've been raising meat chickens for over 10 years and every year we have some crazy thing happen and a bunch of them die until last summer. After having made all of the mistakes over a decade, we finally had the perfect batch of meat chickens, zero deaths. Two days before butcher day, I made a video documenting how we did this. So I don't know if you were keeping track how many Cornish crosses died this year on our homestead. Zero. We had a perfect year. All 118 Cornish cross birds are still alive. We filmed that entire video, we edited it. I'm out here doing the last chores for the evening and of course, I think I jinxed myself, we had one chicken die. Okay, we lost one. Until the last Right day. at the buzzer. Last I had to go day. and open my stupid mouth and <laughs> jinx it. It's called 10 Ways You Are Killing Your Meat Chickens Without Realizing It. And again, if you want to watch that video, I'll have the link in the description so you can check it out. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com We eat chicken at least two meals a week. That would be an additional 5% of our meals of the month. So that's 25% self-sufficient at this point. We're a quarter of the way towards 100%. And that was four years into our journey? Yeah. After we learned about meat chickens, meat kind of blew up for us on our homestead. We started doing pigs, sheep, goats, We've got beef now in the field. That really upped our percentage of self-sufficiency and to the point where now we never have to buy meat from the grocery store. We are 100% self-sufficient as far as our meat goes at our farm. Shortly after moving to Pennsylvania, we had another big step in our self-sufficiency journey. We built an on-farm butcher facility. In addition to producing the meat, over time we worked on butchering our own meat, processing it, curing it, smoking it. Middles are eating 150, so that bad boy right there is ready. So now we do every step in the meat process. The first time we've ever made our own bacon, first taste. Oh man, oh wow, dang it, that is so good. So now every single plate on our dinner table, half or more of those plates is something that we grow here. And <laughs> That's such a funny way to say that. Well, it's the meat. We grow the meat on every plate we've grown, we've produced here. So that brought us to a level of 50% of the food our family eats. Right on our homestead is where we grow it. <laughs> do or grow do not. Grow our plates. <laughs> grow our plates, we do. Do or do not. 
It took us about five years to get to this point. To be totally, you know, meat self-sufficient, five years. There were years we would make jokes though. They were the, the years of <laughs> lamb and chicken when that's all we had in our freezer and we were sick of Just it. Just eat lamb and chicken every <laughs> we, we, other day. The pigs weren't big enough to butcher yet. <laughs> Days of lamb and chicken. But that was 50% self-sufficient as Whatever far as we our grew, food goes. we were eating. It took us about five years to be 50% self-sufficient. How's that stack up to a bunch of other homesteads? We asked our homesteady audience. Most of the new homesteads were growing less than 25% of their food. But as we approach the five-year mark, production really increases. Now half of our homesteads are producing more than 25% of their food, and two out of every 10 are producing more than 50% of their food. That's a huge increase in the amount of homesteaders who over time are producing more and more food. So our life kept changing. I still got more work from home. This was a big shift for us. A lot of you, especially longtime podcast listeners, know I used to work in construction while making this very podcast. And with the help of you who are still listening, you longtime fans, followers, listeners, and you newer ones, as the audience continued to grow, I was able to do more from home, which allowed Kay and me both to be at home all the time, which made it much more doable to get deeper and deeper into the world of dairy. We started off with goats, and you all know how that went. Goats was a miserable failure for us. Dairy goats was not a good fit. Eventually, we got around to getting our first dairy cow, and that was a much better experience. We've been milking out about a two gallons, it's a gallon in the morning, gallon in the evening, which isn't a lot, but it's about all my hands can take, so that's okay with me. That was our milk, our cream, our butter, yogurt. The hard cheese was kind of a miss for the first few years, but this year we finally started to get more of a handle on making hard cheeses, soft cheeses, ice creams, all sorts of yummy things, and really, grew a big That's a chunk. Huge yeah, chunk a lot of sufficiency. Protein. Yeah, even whole meals that we didn't need to use meat anymore, we could do uh, you know, a cheese right. based yep, meal. Right. Yeah, like a fried cheese. So that brought us up from that 50% to 70% now. That that's 70% of all our food. Yeah, that's We're awesome. producing here in our homestead. <laughs> that took 13 years to get to yeah. this point. <laughs> But we're here. Wait, more than 13, remember? We've been married longer than 13 years. Yeah, I don't count the first year. That was our Taco Bell year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 13 and a half years. So after a decade plus of homesteading, we're at about 70% of our food that we're producing here on this homestead. We asked all the homesteaders in our audience what percent of food they're producing after 10 years. Here, our data showed another interesting trend. When you go from five years to 10 years of homesteading experience, you'll find now six out of every 10 homesteads are producing more than 25% of their food, with three or more out of every homestead producing more than half. So the third takeaway that we got from reviewing this data was that you really can't fast forward this process. It's hard to skip ahead through all that learning and time. One, because it costs a lot of money to get into this all, and year by year you'll build up your infrastructure, your animal experience, and you just can't skip ahead in this way of education and learning. So instead of letting this discourage you and think, ah, I can never do this, it's gonna be too much work, let it encourage you to just start because it is a long process. The sooner you start, the quicker you'll arrive at these much higher percentages of self-sufficiency. 
So now you want to know. <laughs> what do we buy from the store? If we're at 70%, that's like 30% still hanging out yeah, there. Yeah, there's still some food that we're getting at the grocery store. Well, we're a family of eight. So we've got six kids, which means there's always going to be those kind of kid snacky things we buy because we can and we want to. There's coffee. Oh yeah, Grains, definitely. rice, flowers, things like that. And for us, a lot of fruit and veggies. Oils. Oils. Spices, well, right? Well, yeah, less oil than we used to because we use a lot of lard in mm -hmm. our cooking. Yeah. Uh, fruit, we did start a whole beautiful food forest oh, at our so farm sad. back in Connecticut. We planted this orchard with the goal to have six months of fruit. So we did raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, apples, pears, goji berries, kiwi, all sorts of things. Hopefully the next people enjoy it. is probably producing a lot of fruit, but we moved and left it there. <laughs> we did just plant strawberries, strawberries here. So that means surely we'll be moving soon. Fruit and veggies, that's always been our, I think Achilles heel on the homestead and something we're eager to get much better at in the upcoming years. And when we did the survey about other homesteaders, this was I think the part I was most interested in. What are other people buying as well? It was like looking in their medicine cabinet. <laughs> Ooh, uh, you're buying... one of those people. <laughs> I am not. No, but I'm looking in the refrigerator. Ah. We had an awesome group of homesteads who shared in-depth information with us as far as what they are growing and what they have a hard time growing and are still buying. We're gonna learn a lot more from them in an upcoming video, more on that in a second, but here's some of the things they said they are still buying even when producing more than 50% of their food. Snacks, exotic fruits, coffee, yes. Oils, chocolate, because who couldn't? The point is everybody still had to buy something. And in fact, even out of the 10% of homesteads that said they were growing more than 75% of their food, after a decade of experience, not one of them said they were growing 100%. Everybody was buying something. And the things they said were really similar to ours. Things they said were really similar. It's hard to grow your own wheat and millet and to have enough space to grow it. That's one thing that a lot of us run into is the issue of space, money. Pretty much everybody who said they were growing veggies and fruit also still bought veggies and fruit. Yeah, it's hard to grow as much as you need. Especially. Not everybody, somebody did it, but. Yeah, well, especially for a larger family, I think that's an enormous amount of food to be growing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that brings us to Dale's question from the beginning. Is it possible for them or anybody to be grocery store? Can you comfortable on this ladder back It's a metal ladder. Ah. Okay. Just look natural. Is it possible for them or anybody really to be free from the grocery store in two years? Based off the results from thousand, almost a thousand different homesteaders, it looks like it's pretty difficult to get to that level of self-sufficiency in two years time. Starting from zero. Now, Much. maybe you've been homesteading for 40 years and then yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> but if you're just starting out to go from nothing to 100% producing all of your own food, in two years, it will be difficult. So here's the path that we suggest you follow over the next decade. First couple years, just start. Just by starting, you're growing in knowledge and experience that is laying the foundation for everything you're gonna do after this. As you approach year five, 
If you're producing more than 25% of your food, you'll be in the top half of homesteaders. So start shooting for that goal of more than 25% of your food by year five. And then as you approach the wise old 10 years plus, like us elder millennials over here. Yeah. And then by the time you're in your 10th year of homesteading, if you're providing yourself with 50% or more of your food, that's fantastic. And if you wanna learn how they're doing it, we had so many of them tell us their secrets. We're gonna share those in the next video. They gave such good tips that I'm definitely going to apply them in our new homestead. And I'm really excited to do that. While you're waiting for this. Podcast listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode. There's something really important that I want you to do right now. If you enjoyed it, that was a little bit of a different kind of episode. The way we made that episode, it's a high quality YouTube video that we then converted into a podcast episode. I know there's a lot of you out there who only listen to the podcast, haven't seen that video. If you enjoyed this episode, we put in a lot of extra work to make sure it was good as a podcast. We checked the audio levels as best we could. We cut out any parts that were visual only and we stitched it together to make it one nice, easy to listen to experience. If it was good, enjoyable for you, please let me know by going and leaving a review. If you could leave a review on Apple iTunes or podcasts or whatever they call it nowadays, leave a review there. Five stars will let me know you liked it and you could even write in your comments, hey, I really liked the latest episode, the truth about self-sufficiency. I will know that you like this style of episode and what this will allow us to do is release more episodes. We'll take more of our high quality YouTube videos and convert them to podcasts for those of you who don't watch the videos. Now, for those of you who don't like this kind of episode but normally like our show, I'm going to ask you to also leave a review. I would love it if you'd give us a five-star review, but in your comment, tell me, hey, by the way, I don't like the Truth About Self-Sufficiency episode. Please don't do that format anymore. If more people say they didn't like this style, we won't do any more of these. But if a lot of you go to Apple iTunes, leave a review and say, hey, I loved it, we'll actually be able to release more episodes of the podcast. I have like four or five really high quality YouTube videos that we've made recently, which take up a lot of our time and have honestly been part of the reason why we've been doing less podcasts lately. I can easily convert them with another couple hours of work to be a good podcast that you can listen to. So if you enjoyed this, let us know. Head on over to Apple iTunes, leave a five-star review, but leave in the comment specifically, I like the latest episode, The Truth About Self-Sufficiency. If more of you tell me you liked it than didn't, I have a lot of new episodes that I can release like this. You'll get more episodes every month of The Home Study Show, which I know a lot of you would appreciate. <laughs> We're slow in production, so if we could get more episodes out, that'd be fantastic. Anyway, it's all up to you guys. Let me know how you feel. You can also email me, Austin, this is Home Study, but the best way to get the message across would be leaving a five-star review with an explanation in your comment where you specifically mention liking the new format, converting YouTube videos to podcasts as well, giving you more episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to hear the next episode in this lineup, if you don't want to wait, you can go and watch a YouTube video. I'll have a link for the next episode where we talk about what specifically you should be growing on your homestead 
to get you the most food. It's called Grow This, Not That, Best and Worst Food to Grow for Self-Sufficiency. You can go watch that video now, or perhaps that'll be the next episode of the podcast you listen to if enough people leave a positive review and let me know they like it.